0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is it.
1: We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's
0: going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
2: The names behind the numbers. The stories behind the names. This is the Her Hoop Stats Podcast with John Little. You know, for us, you know, we recruit the pen, you know, we like the grinding kids and the gritty kids, the kids that really love to play the sport. Like that's where we center a lot of our attention and we try to get the kids that match that. The biggest newsmakers, the best storytellers, the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Here's your host, John Little.
1: Hello. Yes, you. Welcome into the Her Hoop Stats podcast. I'm John Little, your host. Great to have you here for another week talking women's basketball, uh, pursuing some of the biggest guests in women's basketball, whether it be college or pro, and bringing those interviews to you. And we've got another great one this week as well. Thanks so much for being here. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast. We always have to tell you to do that, right? Subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts. And also give us a rating and a review if you wouldn't mind. We always appreciate those and enjoy reading those and enjoy your feedback as well. At podcast at herhoopstats.com, podcast at herhoopstats.com, you can reach out to us by email as well. Our guest this week is Mike McLaughlin, the longtime head coach of Penn And an Ivy League institution he's made Penn into over the years. Done just a great job with that program since coming over from his alma mater, Holy Family, back in 09-10. That's when he started out at Penn. And since then, he's been to three NCAA tournaments. He has over 600 wins for his career overall, when you look at it in its totality. Uh, Plus, he was the fastest NCAA coach at any level to reach 400 wins. Uh, so, a guy that is just a genius when it comes to basketball, but then also just so good at leading a team and he's done a terrific job with building a program and doing it very very quickly at Penn as well looking forward to bringing this to you had a great wide-ranging conversation and stick around to the end because if you didn't know this about Mike McLaughlin his job before he started coaching really really interesting right now let's hear from the head coach of Penn Mike McLaughlin Thanks, John. Thanks
2: for having me. I'm excited to talk to you.
1: Absolutely. Great start. Seven and one as you hit the finals break. I'm sure that's what you're kind of going through right now. What's uh, what's going well for your girls at this point?
2: You know, what? we went through a little transition, but we had some ready players and we had some kids that were ready to go from that eight to 10 minute mark into the 20s. And I think the progression was there. Um, So I think credit goes to them. They were prepared to step in and play. And then we had a great addition of a tremendous freshman, Caleb Adia, that really gave us a, an as, uh, aspect to our team we haven't had in a long time. Her ability to score on all three levels. And uh, so it's been a great start so far.
1: Absolutely. I was looking at some of Kayla's numbers. And anytime you've got that that freshman coming in, it's it's the it's the new toy, so to speak. And and you never know exactly what you're going to get. Was it one of those where you could really project it forward from seeing her in high school? And I know she was from across the country in California. So, um, you know, maybe uh, I I don't know how much you got to see her up close and personal. But uh, tell us a little bit about recruiting her and her expectations versus what she is producing right now.
2: Yeah, we spent a great deal of time uh, making Kayla a priority for our recruiting. You know, it was a great fit for her and her family. She's, a, she's at in our business school. Um, you know, we spent a great deal watching her throughout the summer. I've been recruiting. We recruited her for a good two years. Um, she's, been, she's been as good as I would only hope. Um, she came in right away. She filled the gap we had, as I mentioned, with Ashley Russell graduating. And she was prepared to play. She's been well coached her whole career. Um, She's got tremendous skill. She's got great ambition to be very, very good at this. She commits herself. Um, She's selfless. She has all the intangibles uh, to be a great player here at Penn. And and that's her her ability to score the ball in so many ways has really separated her from everyone else. And uh, I'm just excited every day to have her out here. Uh, big things are ahead for her and uh, she's a great teammate and I'm excited to watch her journey
1: with her I've got her numbers through seven games here and and sometimes a freshman even at a guard spot might struggle with is defensively not putting their hands on people not getting called for a lot of fouls but she is Mm -hmm. uh, you know even through seven games she was averaging 32 minutes a game for you and it only picked up 11 total fouls what does that say about her ability to play defensively in your system
2: Just her ability to adapt has been tremendous. You know, it's been a priority in our program, um, you know, and how to play defense and the importance of it. And she came in with the willingness to do it. And, you know, I I, I really believe with our team, you know, having them commit to rebounding and defend and offensively, just giving them the flexibility and the freedom to go play, you know, but demand that this end isn't a non-negotiable type. And Kayla, you know, she can score from our defense and that's what we have done much better this year. She's able to turn our defense into offense very quickly. Um, But she, she's just why I think she's special. She was, she was able to adapt right away and um, she fit right in. She's getting better and better every day in that area. She's starting to understand more and more what it takes at the college level and every play Um, things that many times take a year or two to, to kick in it seems like it's, it's hit her right, right away I mean, she's adapted as I said uh, extremely well so far
1: now Leah Parker has been an outstanding defender for you and obviously she's playing uh, that role again this year where have you seen her um, uh, play the best uh, this season and where can she still take another jump as uh, not not a young player but still a player that has a few years to go
2: yeah, the great thing about her is she's still developing. Even though she's a junior, you know, she has played uh, right away. As soon as she came into Penn, she was rookie of the year in our league. She's been first team All Ivy. I think last summer was a big thing for her. She got invited to the Pan American tryouts out in Colorado Springs with some of the, you know, thirty six top college players, and you know, going through training camp and playing at that level for you know, five straight days, really helped her development. I think she sees where she's very good at, and I think she saw areas that she still needs to grow. Um, And I think that's, you know, I think that area has really helped her. You know, the mental part of the game has improved. You know, she started the season off great. She's been battling an injury a little bit where her minutes have went down, but I would expect her to start getting back to where she was very soon here. Um, But she's really learned how to – to be the focus defensively she changes shots she's a very good athlete she moves laterally um she gets off her feet and she's a physical specimen you know she's she's she she can move and you know i, I do think over the next couple weeks you're going to see Leah back to where she was last year in terms of numbers wise because her minutes will naturally increase
1: well she's obviously a very imp- imposing force defensively and you talk about uh, how how big uh, you know turning defense is into offense for you guys I know that's a huge piece of the puzzle see you've got a Hawaii trip coming up and and that's always fun um, and there's a nice wide gap before that then and after then so in that uh, stretch how do you try to focus kids through a, an opportunity like that where it's a long long trip but to such a beautiful and wonderful place yeah, you're trying to win a couple basketball games and, and keep yourself focused so you're ready for Ivy League play when you get back there. It seems like a lot to handle.
2: Well, I think, you know, as I always say, John, I mean, these these, these ladies are so dedicated. You know, they're going to one of the best academic universities in the world, and, you know, they're playing basketball on a very big stage, right? So the experience to me is paramount. I want them to to love what they do every day and look forward to things as they're, as an athlete here at Penn. Um, we're really fortunate. Our athletic department, our alumni base, really wants to give these kids a world-class experience. Um, but to, to, to get back to where we were, were, you know, we're in finals now, which is at, at any school is a stressful environment, right? So we're using basketball right now as the outlet. You know, we're working them out every day, but we're doing it differently. We're working individually a little bit more. You know, we're trying to develop each player piece by piece, Um, not forgetting the team focus for sure, but just to be able to spend the extra time that we can't do as we're prepping for game after game. So that's what we're trying to do this week. You know, we'll start prepping because we do play Drexel right as finals conclude for us. And then, as you mentioned, the Hawaii trip is just exciting. You know, I, I think, you know, I think the, the, the the thing that we have done well here is is give them the experience. But when we do travel and when we do, it's all business when it comes to the game. I want when it's time to practice and watch film and compete for them to put themselves in a box. And then when we're done, I want them to enjoy it. You know, I I want them to be, I want them to see another, uh, you know, another culture, another area of the world they've never been to. Like these things are paramount for the success of our program. It's it's good for recruiting. It's good for our experience, and at a world class school, I'd like to put Penn, you know, on 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 a big stage, and I want to see these kids travel and. I think ultimately, when they're done here at Penn, I want them to look back and say, you know what, we were a really good basketball program, and we had a great experience while we we're here.
1: Well, let's go back to you getting the job at Penn, and maybe even a little bit before that as well, because I, I want to know, you know, what it's like now versus what you thought it was going to be. So I, I feel like we need to go back to Holy Family there, um, right. and, you know, and and say, you know, you're you're at your alma mater, um, you've got such a good thing going there. How? tough was that decision uh, to uh, to leave even though it's an obvious um, you know step up in a lot of different yep. ways
2: well it's it's kind of like the both sides of the spectrum it was the hardest thing to do and it was the easiest thing to do it was hard because I was I was there for a long time we built an incredible program as you mentioned I was an alum but the easy part was coming to a school like Penn um, I think it was really important for me to to, at the time, my kids were younger, as we mentioned. Uh, you know, I didn't want to move them around the country. I wanted them to have the stability that they needed at that time in their lives. And when Penn gave me the, oppor- gave me the opportunity to come here, um, being from Philadelphia and understand uh, the Philadelphia Big Five basketball, but more the University of Pennsylvania and what it stands for, and the academics, and the athletics, and the facilities, everything that I would only hope would happen i was fortunate that I was given that opportunity so it was difficult in some way but it was a very very easy decision i've never looked back i, I, I look back at my time at holy family fondly and Wish them great success going forward all the time, but uh, this is where I that I, I want it to be, and it's worked out great so far.
1: Well, when you took over at Penn, what time of year was it? Was it right after a season, or was it a little bit? Late yeah, so process? I
2: was hired. I was hired in uh, April. So I guess when the season was over, they made a coaching change. Once they vetted out the new coaches, and I was hired sometime in mid-April. Um, you know, at the time, I. You know, I inherited a, uh, You know, I left a very good team at, Pe- at a holy family. We were a top five program in the country. And I think, you know, we had won 29 games. You know, and coming to Penn, where it was a total rebuild in terms of changing the culture and developing priorities in basketball and everything that I was really excited about, it took time for that to happen. But it was exciting you know people embraced change we had a great group of returners that were invested in a new day and um you know we started slowly building a program to the level that we wanted it to be and it was day by day step by step and um you know i look back 10 years later and, and where we started where we're at now and realizing i do think we have you know more areas that we can get better in. Um, I'm just excited as I was, just as excited as I was the first day I got here.
1: That's awesome. You, you know, nobody wants to go through a, a two-win season like you guys had that that first year. But like you said, a total rebuild. Do you almost look at that season as a badge of honor now, or, or how do you look back on that season now when you when you think about it ten years later?
2: You know, John, I've said this. Uh, you know, I said this, and I and I mean it to to the fullest. Uh, you know, it was probably. best year I've you know I've been head coach now for 25 years that was probably my best season and that sounds like everything what we we do in sports you know we keep score so winning and losing is really important Um, but it was it, it was an opportunity it was fresh it was new it was really challenging um, but I think the players that embrace change really helped that. And we struggled greatly. I we went right up to New Year's Day before we won our first game, and we didn't win our league, our only league game until the end of the season. So there was a lot of um, there was a lot of challenges. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, it was it was exciting. It gave us a starting point to where hopefully, we, you know, in, in the meantime we we went on to to improve the talent. Um, but that culture change was vital for the su- success we have now. I, um, you know, we were able to embrace um, the challenges head on and, and know that we had a long way to go. And I was really excited. The players that were there, the coaches that were with me, did a phenomenal job, you know, making this day possible.
1: What kept that belief, um, you know, not only in in the players but in yourself um, as as you came out of that year. What kind of messages did you try to be consistent with in order to, uh, you know, keep everybody on board and then try to recruit to, um, you know, something that you really believed in, but had not paid dividends and wins yet?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I'm actually I, I did as much research as I can. I called as many coaches that I knew that I can talk through about when they took over a new program, when. They were struck that, you know, the the talent level was lower and how do you get it where it's got to go and what do you do? And so what we did was we we kind of gold our team, um, you know, in different areas about the individual side of the game, you know, how, how we can help rebound our opponent at least quarter by quarter. We literally were doing things media timeout by media timeout. I was trying to give them as many opportunities to win within a game, knowing at the end it was really going to be difficult to win the score, so we literally broke the game down in ten segments, and we tried to win every four minutes. This is when the media timeouts were every four minutes, and we would say, "Okay, let's let's really share the ball. Let's see if we can get three assists in this media through the next and little things like that." It didn't look like it was so insurmountable to be good. And we just kept reinforcing these small little things, you know, as we on the other side were trying to recruit talent and trying to get them to see the small wins that the program were having and trying to get you get good players to understand that this is going to be a process, but we're going to get there. Just, you know, trust us and believe in us. And, you know, and and again, it was a lot of, lot of work that was day to day area by area, like within the campus and within the administration and within athletics, just be really visible, you know, and have them believe, you know, uh, you know, we have to believe in what we want to do and have them, you know, be a part of it and give us an opportunity to take some time, but I need your help. I need you involved, mm-hmm. you know, and it was, I could tell it was- You know, I could tell you over and over how we we were repetitive in what we did and we picked winning things that we can achieve. You know, if it was getting involved in three community projects, you know, if it was, you know, making sure no one missed a class, you know, all the controllable things, I wanted them to get an A in. And I think we did a really good job with that. More importantly, the players did and my assistants did.
1: That is fascinating stuff, coach. That's uh, really good stuff. This is Mike McLaughlin, the head coach at Penn, our guest here on the Her Hoop Stats podcast. And so what did you learn about recruiting to the Ivy League when you when you stepped in? What's different about it than than you thought? What's what's easier than you thought it would be?
2: Yeah, I'd go back to what I did. I I, I reached out to some great coaches that were here at Penn and in the Ivy League. Fran Dunphy is one that was at Penn on the men's side uh, for 17 years, and then he concluded his career at Temple last year. You know, he was really successful here. You know, he won uh, multiple Ivy League championships. So I reached out to him. I reached out to some other people that 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 coached in the Ivy. What it was going. I was just trying to arm myself with enough knowledge, you know, because everything's a learning curve, and I just wanted to kind of expedite a learning curve, which never happens. But I was trying. And what I learned is that when you have a special university, that people will listen. And you know, when when you have a campus like this, and you know, the, the Ivy League brand and location and facilities at Penn, people will listen, you know. So I think I don't see it anything as difficult. There's some challenges. We can't recruit everyone, obviously. Um, we break it down in three buckets. We have, the you know, athletically, can this particular player help us be the best team we can be? The second one is academically, can they come to Penn and succeed, and can I support them to, their emissions to depend, and the third and the most challenging at many times is the financial aid. You know, we're the only eight schools in the country of the three hundred fifty-one Division One schools that don't have athletic scholarships. Um, so that that becomes challenging at times where we're competing, recruiting. You know mid-majors and up kids that are full scholarship kids everywhere they go so we have to be really smart in terms of selling our product and telling them what the value of pen is long term short term and then long term and we have to reinforce that again and and with the hope at the end that all three of them come together and they see the value they see the experience that they'll have here at Penn you know, and sharing stories like we just discussed about Hawaii and some of the other great trips and opportunities that we've taken. And then hopefully them three will come together and they can matriculate to Penn and, and and do great things when they're here.
1: I know Princeton and Harvard have gotten some top 100 kids recently. Does that raise the bar for the rest of the league? Or is it, like you say, just such an individual case-by-case basis that you can't really focus on things like uh, trying to get a kid that happens to be in ESPN's top 100 that year?
2: Yeah, I, I don't get caught much, uh, caught recruiting. I, I would like to think we raised the bar in our league. You know, we if you want to go by that, we probably had a handful of top 100 kids since I've been here. Uh, but I think across the board, the talent in the league Regardless of who ranks them, what they rate, I don't think that much matters to coaches. There's a ton of talent in this league. I think it's a credit to all the coaches that that it's a well-coached league. You know, um, these schools are not schools that have a lot of attrition. There's no quick fix in the Ivy. There's not a whole lot of transfers. You don't have a lot of attrition. You don't have junior colleges. So you have to coach your team. And this is a well-coached league. If you can recruit in the Ivy, you can recruit at any school in the country. And I think the coaches in our, they do a phenomenal job recruiting to their institution. You know we have eight of the best schools in the world and they're all different you know they're all different their names are different their locations are different you know and um you know for us you know we recruit the pen you know we we, we, we like the grinding kids and the gritty kids and the kids that really love to play the sport like that's where we center a lot of our attention and we try to get the kids that match that you know, and, and talent level is really important. and We've done a really good job getting very talented kids, but more importantly, we've done a very good job getting kids that fit Penn.
1: How do you try to use your facility and uh, in the, in the history that it has, the Palestra, to I, – I don't know. Is that a selling point as well, or is it something that you teach kids about over the, over the years? Here are the great moments that have happened here.
2: Yeah, you know what? It's interesting, John, because um, – you know we have many kids that are not even from the area of philadelphia or even in the region so to tell them about the history of a building you know it does resonate to some kids um you know it's an awesome place and i don't know if you've been here but it's it's one of the coolest we, we were just down at cameron at duke you know very similar to that like old historic venues that people want to come in and see You yeah, know, i think when they're here they really appreciate it you know as time goes on they matriculate into a freshman in the sophomore. And I think they get it a little differently, but in the recruiting process, it's really important. You know, we have a beautiful practice facility. We have, you know, the palestra to sell, uh, we have a world-class weight room. So we're in a good spot facilities wise, but the history, you know, when they're not from the area, it does take time, you know, to, to explain to them. And, you know, if you walk around the palestra and the Carters, there's, there's history of players from the fifties all the way up until last year. You know, and sometimes today's kids, they want to see immediate things, right? They want to see the brand new. Uh, but their parents love it. The history of this building is – it just goes on and on and on. But when they get here, they really appreciate what it's like.
1: Outstanding. Uh, well, you've been in the Ivy uh, pre-conference tournament and then, you know, now with the current conference tournament. Can you take us back? Uh, a lot of times it's um, – not just uh you know leadership from the conference or from the schools but actual actually the the basketball coaches that that step up and and ask for a, a conference tournament what was that situation like when a conference tournament was added uh, a few years ago and how much were the ba- actual basketball coaches involved in those decisions
2: yeah it was very unique i mean I, at the time i was part of the league's um I think we started these conversations, and I'm sure it went on, I, I think, for many, many, many years before I even got here. Um, but the, I guess five years, we, we, I guess we were in discussion at least for a couple years that I was a part of. And the coaches were very involved in, in having eight teams in it, four teams in it. What was that going to look like? Was it going to be a set venue? Was it going to be a venue each year from school to school or location to location? A lot of them were deeper dives from the athletic directors and administrations, but the coaches had their say in what they would like it to look like. Obviously, there was varying degrees of what it should look like. Um, I think it all ultimately continues to come down to the venue where it should be. The first two years were here at the Palestra, um, the biggest venue in our league it's the most historic and it attracts the most attention um and i thought it was tremendous penn did a phenomenal job the ivy league did uh, did a phenomenal job hosting it um so we had it for two years here the the outcry was you know to to get it back up in the new england area or somewhere closer to the to the, the northern schools um so which i think we all understood so that's where we're at now it turned into a rotation uh, last year it was at Yale this year it will be at Harvard um you know and and I think at the end of the day it's a good experience for our players it's a nice weekend it, it takes a lot to get there um and regardless of the facility it's it's a great tournament the Ivy League does a great job doing it um you know and I and I, I think the players really enjoy it and uh, we'll see. I think the the administration will decide on how they'll proceed year to year. But right now, it's been a a successful tournament.
1: It it sounds like, uh, with what you said there, that it takes a lot to get there. The reason that you like four is because it makes the regular season mean something. Is is that kind of what you're getting at there?
2: Yeah, I think that and the combination of, of you know, if you look, um, you know, right now I think we sit here, if I'm wrong, correct me, I think the the Ivy is sitting at the uh, league RPI of eight. You know, and it's so that means you have some really good, talented teams in your league and only four do make it, you know, and the Ivy is challenging. You know, we play back to back Friday and Saturday nights You're on the road from one venue to the next, you know, and it is challenging. It's physically it's demanding. It's the same for every team, which is great. But whoever gets there really went through it to make it, you know, with four teams out of eight um, back to back games, six different times you know it's uh, it's a grind and, and whoever gets there really deserves to be there and at some point anyone can win that tournament once you get in there
1: gosh i i, I didn't even think about the the back-to-back so that is so difficult and how do you set up a, a weekend um and how have you learned to set it up in order to get the very best out of your team on those back-to-backs
2: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that's the thing. We've played a couple, uh, you know, many times you'll play a tournament where you'll play back to back to kind of prepare you for league play if that's possible, you know, and, and try to see how this particular team, you know, adapts to that. Right. So you kind of try to put them in that environment, um, to see, you know, when it does happen, they can say, well, remember, we've done this before. We practiced this. We, we, we talked about this, that you're going to get in the hotel late, have to get the bed and get up at 10 and rescout for the next team. You know, and you're going to have to be consistent, even if you don't have success the day before and you lost the game. How are you just going to get back? You know, so these are all learning things and each team is different. You know, each kid, each kid responds differently. And then we just pick away collectively that this is the way we're doing it with this group. And we try to be as consistent
1: with them as possible. I would be remiss if I didn't uh, get to talk with you about the Harlem Globetrotters and uh, playing for uh, playing for the generals uh, for three years. All right. How did you get involved with the Globetrotters and and being a part uh, of that spectacular organization?
2: Well, I was I was. I was very fortunate. I, obviously I played at Holy family university. I had a successful career. They, they, at the time had many players from the East coast and it just happened that one of the scouts that worked for the Washington generals had seen me play along the way. And um, he obviously liked what he saw, um, which led me to um, a, a home visit to red Clots was the owner Um, face-to-face, sit down with him, spend a couple hours with him and his wife to see if I was a fit for what they wanted. Um, And I was very fortunate that I was at the time. um, You know, Red Klotz is a legendary guy that just loved the sport, loved the generals, was part of the Globetrotters for 60 years. Um, And I was just very fortunate. I was in the right spot at the right time, and I took advantage of a situation absolutely had the, the best time of my life and the best experience of my life. And one of the first things, we're going back 30 years now, when I met Red at his house, he lived in Margate, New Jersey. says, you know, let me tell you, you'll be talking about this the rest of your life. And now I'm 30 years removed. There's probably not a day that I don't talk about it. Someone's constantly asking me about what it was like or a reference of something or I'm constantly getting old videos sent to me, and uh, he was right, and uh, it was a special opportunity. I was very, very fortunate to be a part of it.
1: What What does it mean to be the right fit to play for the Washington Generals?
2: You know, they. You know, you have to understand that it is competitive basketball. You know, again, we're going back when I played. There was probably it was set up about forty percent. 50 percent real basketball and 50 percent show so you had to understand when it was not time to play serious basketball there was a lot of um there was a lot of opportunities we had to let the globetrotters perform and and you had to understand that that was that was what i was referring to about a fit you know and he was a very professional man you know we traveled a ton you know, we were away three hundred days out of the year. Like are we, you know, how are you gonna conduct yourself professionally? How are you gonna handle the media professionally? Um, you know, he was that's what he wanted to be a part of his program. And you know, and the best thing about it for me as I went forward is I was able to every team I coached talk about not so much my scenario, but how how do you conduct yourself on a day to day? You know, how do you perform? How do you, you know, we used to travel all day and all night and have to get to an arena and perform the best we could. And there was no excuses. The people sitting all the way on the top of a 15,000 seat arena didn't care what your day looked like. They were there to have a great experience. And many times it relates to what we do. You know, our players are fatigued. They traveled, they studied, they had a test, you know, they, 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 they had a busy day in other areas when we came into the gym it didn't much matter we all had to come together and so I share a lot of them type of things about dealing with adversity and what it looks like when things don't go your way and I learned a lot of that from being able to play with the, the generals with the travel and the challenges that were you know from day to day and I look back at that and, and I think it made me a better coach because I can share some of them stories and I can implement some of them learning tools that that red gave me
1: that's awesome uh over 50 countries what uh what were the top ones or what were the top experiences that um you know and it could be good it could be bad but what uh what sticks with you when you think back to the 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 world travel that you did
2: yeah there was so many there was there was there was unbelievable venues where we saw some of the best places in the world you know we went to the canary islands and played all the islands um we went to you know we were in and out of europe all the time so in paris and london and all the great places in the world but then there was in places that really kind of opened your eyes you know at the time the third world countries and, and seeing the poverty in some areas and the, the, the opportunities that some of the people didn't have that we had and to be able to play in front of them where, you know, they work so hard just to buy a ticket to the game, you know, I think, and then you, you, you get to the game and there's 5,000 people in a really small town in South America and, and just watching them have a time of their life, you know? So it is eye opening in terms of what the world gives you and what it, you know, what the the advantages we had at the time, and, um, you know, I really enjoyed interacting with the kids and fans and the people in around, you know, whatever we did in the hotel or traveling, because I I thought that, you know, they looked up to what we were doing, and it was my obligation to to show them and talk to them and engage them, and um, because I was just fortunate to be a part of that, and, uh, you know, I hope I did a great job doing
1: it. Awesome. Coach McLaughlin, uh, really appreciate your time today. I learned a lot. I know our listeners will as well, and uh, we wish you the very best uh, to you and your team this season.
2: Thank you, John. I appreciate you having me. Have a great holiday. to you and your listeners.
1: There he is, the head coach of the Penn Quakers, Mike McLaughlin, here on the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Really appreciate Mike joining us today. And it is so great to have him on the program. Again, make sure to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, uh, Subscribe if you haven't done so yet. And tune in next week. We've got uh, a Big 12 basketball coach coming up on the show a week from today. So make sure to hit that subscribe button. You'll get every new offering we have, whether it be on this program or our unplugged podcast as well. Every single time it comes out. Thanks to this week's guest, Mike McLaughlin, along with the announcer of the Her Hoop Stats podcast, Susie Solis. Our music is by Jared Deck, jareddeckmusic.com, and the executive producer of the Her Hoop Stats podcast is Aaron Barzilein. I'm your host, John Little, reminding you at the Her Hoop Stats podcast, we are unlocking better insight about the women's game. Her Hoop Stats.